before we jump into the message, uh, I, I think, you know, as, as Christians sometime in churches, I think we take ourselves way too seriously at times. And we got to learn to laugh at ourselves. I grew up in Texas, and one of the things I used to love in the South is every church had a church sign. I don't know if anyone uh, remembered those days where the churches had church signs. We're not talking about just your name on it, but we're talking about a church sign. Well, a little quick for me. <laughs> I love this, this, I found this this week online. This, this was my favorite ones. Whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you're going. That is the mad church sign guy. Uh, here, here's another one for you. Church parking only. Violators will be baptized. That is not a parking lot you want to park in unless you're prepared to get wet. All right, look at the next one with me. Uh, I love this. This is like an Easter one, and he's mad already. Welcome semi-annual worshipers. I mean, that guy's like already mad. Let's look at the next one. Best sausage supper in St. Louis. Come and eat, Pastor Thomas Ressler. (laughs) Pastor Porky there. That's when punctuation becomes very, very important in signs. Look at the next one with me here. God help me to be the person my dog thinks I am. I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer before, but it sounds like a pretty good prayer. Let's look at the next one with me. I've got a couple more. Whoever is praying for snow, please stop. (laughs) Thank God we don't have that issue here in North County. Let's look at the next one. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while you're driving if you want to meet him. (laughs) A little bit of church sign proverb wisdom there. Do we got any others? Uh, let's say, oh yes, we got, now is a good time to visit. Our pastor is on vacation. <laughs> they got a lot of faith in their pastor there. I think we got one more to show you. I love this. Happy Easter to our Christian friends. Happy Passover to our Jewish friends, to our atheist friends. Good luck. <laughs> we we got to learn to laugh at ourselves sometime. I just think, you know, we take ourselves way too seriously. And church should be fun. Church should be life-giving. That's, that's our whole philosophy here. Psalm 122, verse 1. I love the way King David said, he said, I was glad when they said, let's go to church. I don't know about you, but the church I grew up in in the South, I was not glad when mom told me it was time to go to church. I was mad when it was time to come to church. I used to think the more painful church was, like if it was, if it was just like specially boring, you got more holy points in heaven, the, the more boring church was. And we just, I just told God, God, if I have to do this the rest of my life, I want to enjoy it. Uh, I, I, want to, I want to have a church that I would want to come to if I did not have to be here. And so that, that's our goal today. And we hope you just have a good time and experience it and really just see Christ for who he really is today. We're in this series called Four Cups, and the full title is called Four Cups of Passover. And that may be a foreign concept to you. You may not really understand what the word Passover means or what four cups have anything to do with Passover or anything to do with Easter. But let me just, let me just give you a quick kind of summary for what this means. Passover was a celebration in the Jewish history, Jewish culture, which is kind of like our 4th of July. It's like our Independence Day. It was the day they got set free from Egypt for 400 years. The children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt and Passover. Passover was the celebration to kind of commemorate them getting free from Egypt. And so for the last 3,500 years, the Jewish people celebrate with a Passover 
ceremony, and they drink four cups of wine during the ceremony. And this Passover ceremony was fulfilled through Easter for us Christians, and, and we're showing that through this series. But these four cups of wine are symbolic of the four core promises God made the nation of Israel. And if you study out the Bible, you'll discover that these are the same four promises that God has for every human being on planet Earth. Like, if you want to know, what is God's agenda for my life? Like, what does God want me to do with my life? What is his plan or his will for my life? It's that these four promises he made you come true in your life. And so these promises are found in these four cups of Passover, because at a Jewish Seder, a Jewish Passover celebration, To this day, the Jews will drink four cups of wine, and with each cup of wine, they will recite out loud one of the four promises God made the nation of Israel. And they call them the I wills, because each promise begins with God saying, I will, and then he gives the people a promise. And we find this in Exodus chapter 6, and this is important for you to understand. Because whether you recognize it or not, or whether you understand it or not, all of us are on a spiritual journey. And you need to understand the steps that God wants to bring you into because he is, again, whether you recognize it or not, your creator, and he's the only one that really knows how you're going to work best. And it's through these four promises that he has designed for you. So let's look at them quickly. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6. I want to invite you to follow along in your message notes today. You've got some fill in the blanks there to, to help you stay on track with the message. This is what he says. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And, and here's the first I will. And again, they would drink a cup of wine as they say this out loud at the Jewish Seder. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God's first promise in your life is he just wants to bring you out from under a yoke. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to live your life under a yoke? What what does that look like? What is this promise all about? What does this mean for me practically today in 2015? Something that God said 3,500 years ago. Then Then he goes into the second promise and he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. So the second promise is freedom. So God says, one, I want to get you out from under that yoke. And then two, I want to kind of get you free from just just the garbage that was put into your life when you lived under that yoke. See, when you live under this yoke that we're about to talk about, we develop all sorts of unhealthy habits and unhealthy thinking and thought processes. And God says, I want to free you from all of that because it's going to hold you back from reaching your life's best. It's going to hold you back from your potential. So I will free you from, he says, I'll free you from being slaves to them. And then he goes on to say, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And this is, this is God's third promise is he wants to redeem you. Now, what does that mean? Well, it really means he wants to restore you. It's, it's, it's all about restoration. Uh, here's a great picture analogy for you. It's like you can rescue a car from a junkyard. You, you can bring the car out from under the junkyard, but it's a whole nother process to restore that car to its original mint condition where it's beautiful and it's usable. That's what redemption is all about. God, you know, through life, we get all dinged up and banged up and bruised and wounded and hurt and just, just have all sorts of issues that everybody goes through in life. And God says, I want to put you all back together the way I originally created you to be. 
a, a life of purpose and a life of destiny and a life where you've got a mission. And that's, that, that's what he wants to do. His third promise is he just wants to restore you. So he wants to bring you out. He wants to set you free of your past. Then he wants to restore you so that you can fulfill your purpose and destiny. And then he says, finally, I will take you as my people. And they call this the cup of praise or the cup of fulfillment because the most fulfilling place you will ever experience in life is when you're making an eternal difference on a team, when you're doing what God created you to do. You see, the first three promises are all about you individually. God says, I will do this for you, and I will do this for you, and I will do this for you. And then the fourth promise God makes is he says, now I'm going to take you and I'm going to turn you into a people. You're going to be part of a a family, a body, a team where you can do life with others that are fulfilling their purpose. And this will be the most fulfilling place you'll ever live. And these are God's four core promises for every human being. The four things he wants to do in your life. It's the four things Jesus talked about when he left earth. And it's the four things that have been in God's heart for all of eternity. And so what we've been doing is each week we're going through one of these core promises. And today we're dealing with promise number one, the very first cup in this four cups of Passover. And says, so he says, I'll take you as my own people and I'll be your God. And then you will know. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Or in other words, you're finally going to discover what Christianity is really all about. You're finally going to discover what this life was originally intended to be. Because one of the issues I have is most people who reject the church and reject Christianity reject something that it isn't. They're not, because if people really saw what Christianity truly was, there's no way they would reject it. When they really look at God's heart to just fulfill these promises in your life, and that's really what it was always about, they would never reject something so beautiful and so good. What they're rejecting is something that it isn't, something that people kind of turned it into. You know, for example, if you've ever felt judged by the church or, or, or condemned by the church, you need to understand the messenger got it wrong. That was not God's heart or God's plan for the church or for Christianity. Jesus said it very, very clearly. I did not come to judge this world or condemn this world, but to save the world. So you got to understand the messenger can get it wrong, but the message is beautiful and it's perfect. So don't reject the message because a messenger misinterpret it to you. So he says, you'll finally know that I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And so what we've done is we've just decided we're not going to be a church that does everything. We're not going to do a whole bunch of things as a church. We're only as a church going to do four things. And we literally designed our entire church programming around these four promises. Like each of the things we do is designed to help one of these promises come true in your life. And and so we're not going to do everything as a church. We just figure if this is God's plan for every human being, then why don't we build a church that's designed around helping God accomplish his plan for people, which is just these four promises coming true in your life, that he wants to bring you out, which is just save you, and we're going to talk about that today. Then he wants to free you from your past and issues and just emptiness and, 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 and stress and anxiety. Then he wants to restore you and put you back together the way he originally created you to be. Then he wants you to experience a life of fulfillment, a life of purpose, and a life of meaning, the life that you were always created to live. And so 
the design is simply for people who have ever asked the question, is there more to life than this? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. Is, is this really all there is? I wake up every Monday and I work hard and I get through the week, but, but is there more to life than what I'm currently experiencing now? Is this all life was really meant for? And the answer is yes, and you'll discover it in God's promises for your life. So let's look at the first one. The first step, again, is found in verse 6 when he says, I'll bring you out from under the yoke. What what does it mean to live under the yoke? Under the yoke, what's it talking about? Again, everything, if you're new to the Bible, everything in the Old Testament is an example for those of us that live today. Things that happen in the natural that become symbolic examples for us today of living under this yoke. In the Old Testament, it was a yoke of slavery to the Egyptians. For us, it's just this yoke of life, this yoke of sin that we'll explain in a moment. But the original story, again, is these Israelite people were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, They got to Egypt through the life of Joseph. He was second in command over all of Egypt, brought his family, and, and the Pharaoh loved him because he saved the entire nation. And then years later, the pharaohs forgot about the significance of Joseph and his family, and they became threatened by these Jewish people, and they enslaved them. They put them in slavery, and they forced them to work and build bricks and build monuments, and these Jewish people actually built some of the wonders of the world, like the pyramids that was, that was built by these Jewish slaves, and, and the, the pharaoh was very cruel and very hard on them, and, and, and just it was just a, a horrible season of slavery in their life. And if you study this out, you'll discover that the same demonic spirit that was behind Pharaoh, manipulating him to treat these people in such a cruel and a horrible way, is still alive today enslaving people. Like that same spirit is still in our world today enslaving people. Now, it may not be human slavery, but it could be slavery to other things. And there's three things that these slaves had to do that are very symbolic, are, are, are incredible examples to us today. And here's the first one is they were forced as slaves to make bricks. They were forced as slaves to make bricks. They, they were forced against their will to live a life they didn't want to live. They, they didn't have choices. They didn't have free will. They were, they were forced to live this life of slavery. And if you look at the dictionary, slavery is any time you are forced to submit to a dominating influence. That's what slavery is. It's not just, it's not just slaves to humans. It's any time you're forced to submit to a dominating influence in your life. It could be habits that you're a slave to. There's habits that you've wished you could break for years and you tell yourself you want to break it and and yet you feel like a slave because every time you try to get away, you do it again. Addictions could be alcohol. I know people who are slaves to alcohol today. They they, they promise themselves and they, they try everything and do everything they can to kind of break this slavery. They're living a life they don't want to live. They're being forced to submit to this influence. For some people, it's prescription pills. For some people, it's just anxiety. For some people, it's just this depression, and and you just feel like a slave to it. See, slavery is just any time you said, I don't want to live this way, and you try to break away, and you can't break away. It's because you're a slave. You do it again. You're living a life that you don't want to live, and what it makes you feel 
And these are the symptoms of, of really discovering whether you're under this yoke is you feel enslaved. You feel trapped. You continually do things you don't want to do. And this was my biggest issue for years of my life. See, I was abandoned by my father at a young age, and it, and it created a lot of pain and a lot of heartache in my life. And instead of going to God and letting God heal me from the pain and, and just the rejection that I experienced, I ran to slavery. I became a slave to sin. I got involved in alcohol and became an alcoholic for a number of years of my life and, and began doing drugs. And then really the big addiction hit, and that was pornography. And I became a slave to pornography for many, many years of my life. And, and I'll be honest, I hated myself during it. I hated it. I, I swore to myself over and over and over I would never do it again, only to do it again, because I felt like a slave. Like no matter what I did, I couldn't get free. I was enslaved. John chapter 8 puts it like this. Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly, that anyone who chooses a life of sin... And let me help you understand this word sin, because a lot of times we, we look at sin as the bad things you do. And, and yes, sin is the bad things you do. But sin is also the good things you don't do. See, the majority of sin in the world today isn't the horrible, evil things people do. Those are horrible, but that's not the majority. The majority is people who just live empty lives, people who just live life without purpose and live life without meaning. When you are created for all of these incredible, good, amazing things, and you're not living out your life destiny, and you're not living out your life purpose, that's just as much sin as the bad and horrible and evil things people do. See, the word sin simply means to miss the mark. You either went past the mark by doing too much, or you didn't even get close to the mark because you didn't do enough. That's all the word means. And when you choose this life of sin and, and not a life of purpose, it says you're trapped in this dead-end life and is, in fact, a slave. See, when you choose this life, you become a slave, and a slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. And so let me say, if this resonates with you today, if, you're, if you feel like you've been enslaved to something, you're trapped to something that you wish you could get rid of, then you're a candidate for God's first promise in your life. Here's the second thing that happened to the slaves in Egypt. It was the murder of their babies. The murder of their babies. And this is not something we know just through biblical records. This is also something we know from historical records. That the Pharaoh was so intimidated by the Jewish people and, and how God was blessing them that he decided to murder every firstborn male child. And that's where we get the story of Moses, where his mom wanted to save him. So she put him in this basket and put him down the river. And, and, and he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and grew up in the palace as a prince. And what was really going on, what, what the Pharaoh was really scared of, was he was trying to destroy their potential. He was trying to destroy the potential of a future generation by murdering these babies. That's what the devil was trying to do, is rob the potential. And I don't want to get political about this, but this is exactly what the devil is still trying to do today by murdering babies, by killing the potential of a generation. He's trying to, and what this does is when he destroys your potential, he's really robbing you of your dreams, He's robbing you of dreams. Like we grew up with dreams. We grew up believing for, for great things and believing we can make a difference with our life and a difference in the world. And then we just get caught in this routine, boring, normal life and we lose our dreams. And here's what you begin to feel. You feel 
empty. Here's the second symptom. You feel empty. You feel empty. I see people all over North County, and they feel empty. They, they get up every day. They go to work, but they're just going through the motions. You're just going through the motions, and it's easy to hide behind the nice house and the good job and the family, but you feel empty like I'm just going through the motions. There's no real joy. There's no real passion. There's no real dream. There's no real poten- potential. I'm just going through the motions of life. And then here's the next thing that Pharaoh did to slaves is he required them to collect their own straw. See, the slaves were required to make a certain amount of bricks every single day. And the Egyptians would provide them all the straw and the hay to make the bricks. And then Pharaoh, to just be cruel and harsh, decided, I'm not going to give you the straw or bricks. You're going to have to make the same amount of bricks, but you're going to have to go get your own straw. You're going to have to go get the materials yourself. And he was trying to add more hours to their day to make their life miserable to burn them out, to just exhaust them completely. And that's what the devil is doing to so many people today is he's trying to make you so busy that you are just completely exhausted and burnt and fried. And here's his goal. The reason Satan wants you exhausted is because you make your worst choices when you're tired. You make choices that just destroy your life when, 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 you're, when, you're, just, when you're feeling that. And so here, here's the third feeling to really... The third symptom is you just feel exhausted. You feel exhausted. You feel enslaved. You feel trapped. You feel empty. You feel exhausted. And let me say something about this. Burnout isn't because you're doing too much. It's because you're doing too much that doesn't matter. See, there's nothing wrong with work. Burnout is not because you're doing too much. It's you're doing too much that really doesn't connect to your life purpose. Because when you, when you do things that connect to your life purpose and the way God designed you and created you, it actually invigorates you. It fills you with life when you're accomplishing your life purpose. So if you're feeling burnout, it's because you're doing too, th- too many things that really don't matter. And this is what it means to be under a yoke. If you're feeling enslaved, trapped, empty, like I'm going through the motions, exhausted, burnt, then you're a candidate for this first promise. And so what does this have anything to do with Easter? Well, it has everything to do with Easter. This really is the message of Easter. And so let's look at the first cup of Passover today. It's called the cup of sanctification. That's, that's what the Jews named this cup, cup of sanctification. That's, this word sanctification is a fancy Bible word that just means set apart. Like when you take something from over here and you set it apart over here, that's all the word means. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to set your life apart. He wants to take you from this life where you're enslaved and you're empty and you're exhausted and he wants to set you apart over here. And this was his mission, John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus says, the thief's purpose, so here's the devil's plan for your life right here, is to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil's plan is to make you feel enslaved, empty, and exhausted. Now look at Jesus' plan for your life. My purpose My goal, what I want for you, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's that's Jesus' plan for your life. That's what he's desperately trying to do. He's not trying to make you more religious or or, 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 or go to church. He just wants to give you a rich, satisfying life. He wants to let you live a life of fulfillment. He wants to bring you through these four promises so that you can live this life of fulfillment. And this isn't a myth. This is possible. 
Like when you go God's way, this becomes a reality in your life. Romans 8 verse 11, Paul says it like this. It stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life. I want you to think about that. The alive and the present God that raised Jesus from the dead. If that God moves into your life, imagine the energy it took to bring Jesus back to life. I mean, they tortured him and killed him, put him in a tomb, rolled a stone over it. And the energy, the power, the life of God touched his body, brought him back to life. Imagine that energy is alive and available to come inside of you. And, and this is what he promises. He'll do the same thing in your life that he did in Jesus. He's bringing you alive to himself. You're not just supposed to celebrate Easter. You're supposed to experience Easter. I mean, come on. I worked on that line all week long. All right, let me, let, let, me do, let, me, let me do it one more time. You're not just supposed to celebrate Easter. You're supposed to experience Easter. That's better. That's his plan. He wants to do this. When God lives and breathes in you, Paul says, you are delivered from that dead life, that empty, exhausted, enslaved life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what Easter is all about. We've been given a brand new life. You see, Jesus came alive on Easter 2,000 years ago so that you could live, so that you could come alive and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. So here's my offer to you this Easter Sunday. God wants to bring you out. He wants to bring you out from under this yoke. If you've been living your life under this yoke where you feel enslaved and you feel empty and like I'm just going through the motions and you feel exhausted, God's first promise, God's first goal for your life, he just wants to bring you. It's not joining a church. It's not being more religious. It's not trying to clean your act up. He just wants to bring you out. And he paid a heavy, heavy price to do it. And, I, and we found this video because I thought it was the best illustration of God wanting to just bring you out from under this yoke. So watch this with me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Excuse me, son. Yeah? What have you got there? Got, got some birds, some wild birds. Really? Yeah. Where'd you get them? I'm in the field over there. There's a field with wild birds. Huh. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind my asking, what are you going to do with them? I want to play games with them. Games? Yeah, I can play games with wild birds, yeah. What kind of games? Um, sometimes I like to poke a stick in there, you know, and they'll be like going, gah, 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 like that, you know? And then sometimes I like to rattle the cage, and they think it's an earthquake, and they love that. What happens to them after you're done playing games with them? Mm, usually I feed them to my cat. You know, my cat likes wild birds. I'll tell you what. I am fond of wild birds. You are? Yeah. Let me buy them from you. You want to buy my wild birds? Yeah. Well, they're no good for nothing. They can't do no tricks or nothing. And when you open this gate, they're just going to fly away. How much? You're serious? I'm very serious. $5. All right. $10. 
Okay. Twenty dollars. They're wild birds. They're exotic birds. You found them in a field. An exotic field. All right. That's all I got. You're looking at the cage. Yeah. What do you got in there? You know what's in there. Mankind. Found them in the garden. The funny thing is, they put themselves in that cage. I had nothing to do with it. So, what's your plans with them? I'm gonna play games with them. Games. What kind of games? All kinds of games. I'm going to put games into their life that they think is going to bring them so much pleasure that I'm going to turn the world upside down. I'm going to make right seem wrong and wrong seem right. And then? They'll be damned for all eternity. My father and I, we're very fond of mankind. I know. We want them to have access to us. So... I'm going to pay for their freedom. You want these humans? Yeah. You know they've promised you everything before. They're going to turn their backs on you. Some will, and some won't. You're serious. Oh, I'm very serious. It'll cost you your tears. I know. Your blood. Yeah. It'll cost you your life. I know. You're willing to give your life. I'm willing to give what it takes. This reminds us about what Jesus did for us on the cross. He picked up that wooden cross and carried it to Mount Calvary because he loved you and me. close today by asking two questions. First off is, how do we get there? Like, how do we get to this place where we feel so empty and enslaved and trapped and and, and just exhausted? How, How do we get there? See, the real problem is most of us, especially here in North County, we don't like to admit we have a problem. Because again, it's easy to hide behind the job, the home, the family. It's easy to live our life feeling like we've got it all together, but The reality is most of us are embarrassed that we're living a life we were never created to live. We were never created to be this empty. We were never created to just go through motions and to be this exhausted all the time and feel trapped and enslaved to to all. And, And most of us never intentionally got there. We unintentionally wound up there. Like we didn't start out life planning to, to feel empty at work every day and just go through the motions. That didn't, that's not what we grew up dreaming about. So here's the real question. How do we get out? How do we get out of this place? How do we get out of this, this just enslavement? How do we get out of this birdcage? Well, I'm going to give you three very practical steps. If you really want to drink out of this cup, this first promise that God has for your life, let me give you three practical steps, and then we're out of here. Number one is you need to make the move. 
You're going to have to make a move in your life. There are physical and spiritual steps that you are going to have to take. You're going to have to move from where you're currently at now, and you're going to have to move to a new place. And the Bible word for this is repent. It's the Bible word, repent. Jesus said, repent. The kingdom is near. Repent. Repent simply means to walk a different way. Repent means to turn 180 degrees and walk a different way. And this is what the purpose of Easter is. God simply wants to close the gap. This is, this is God, God's goal for you today is to close the gap from the life that you're currently living right now and the life that you could be living. He wants to close the gap. This rich, satisfying life that he wants to bring you into, he just wants to close the gap from where you're currently at and where he wants to bring you. Second Corinthians 6, therefore come out. From among unbelievers. And that simply means come out from that empty, exhausted, enslaved life. Separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. You don't need to live that way anymore. You don't need to live empty and exhausted and enslaved. And he says, I will welcome you. And look at this. And I will be your father. You need to understand something about God today. God doesn't want you to. He never intended to be your religion. He just wanted to be your father. He just wanted to set you free and bring you out. Here's number two. You're going to have to let it go. You're going to have to let it go. Let what go? Let what go? All of us have something we're holding on to that we don't want to let go. We we all know that for me to really surrender my life to Jesus Christ, there's something I'm going to have to let go of. We all have something that we have to, this big thing holding us back that we think is more important than making the greatest decision of our life, which is to surrender our life to Jesus. And that's the Bible word, surrender. Surrender. You've got to get this place where you're willing to surrender. For me, it was forgiving my father. I knew for the I knew the moment I made a decision to serve Jesus, the first thing Jesus was going to do is ask me to forgive my father. And I didn't want to forgive him for what happened. I didn't want to forgive him for the pain and the hurt and the abandonment and the rejection that I experienced for so many years of my life. That's what kept me from serving God for many, many years, from experiencing this life that he promised me is I didn't want to let go of unforgiveness. But you're going to have to let go and let Jesus lead your life. Mark chapter 8. Anyone who intends to come with me, Jesus is saying, has to let me lead. You can't be the leader in your life if you want Jesus. You're not in the driver's seat. I am, Jesus is saying. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. You can keep trying to do it your way, but how's it working out? Are you really finding an answer to the emptiness and the exhaustion and and, and just the slavery you've been living under? Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to saving yourself. Jesus has got to be the Lord. And here's the third thing you can do is commit your life. Commit your life. It's time for you to change your allegiances. All of us have allegiances somewhere. We've all assigned our heart to someone or something. And if you really want to experience this first promise, you're going to have to change your allegiance. You're going to have to commit your life to him. Romans 6, because of the weaknesses of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. 
See, Paul's saying, I'm using this slavery to help you figure out the way you feel and the way you've been living. He said, previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin and emptiness and exhaustion and enslavement. Now, now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you can become holy. See, the first slavery is a forced slavery. The first slavery is against your will. The second slavery is a willing slavery. I willingly have given my life to Jesus as a slave by choice. I willingly have done that. I've willingly given myself to the only one that's ever paid for all of my sins. And this is what salvation is. This is what it means to be saved. And let me give you one word for it, relationship. Relationship. Commit your life. Relationship. Not religion. I'm not asking you to commit your life to religion. I'm asking you to commit your life to relationship to a God that wants to fulfill these promises in your life, a God that wants to bring you into this rich, satisfying life. He doesn't want you in the bondage of religion. He wants you in a relationship. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He wants something real with you, and you have a chance to begin your journey today. So what I want to do is we're going to close today by, by finishing the survey. I want everyone to pull out your survey card with me. On the front of the card, you'll see four boxes, letter A, letter B, letter C, letter D. And I'm asking for 100% participation in this because everybody in this room fits into one of these boxes. Everyone here fits into one of these boxes. Last year, just about everyone in the church filled this survey out. It's just what we do. It's a tradition that we do every Easter just to help us really reflect on where we're at. And, And here's what they represent. Here's what they mean. Here's letter A. Letter A simply means I'm already in a very real relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm already in a relationship with him. I'm there. I mean, he's first. It's not a religion. It's not, you know, duty. It's not, you know, it's not being in relationship with the church. It's being in relationship with Jesus. Like you have a very real and personal relationship with Jesus. Here's letter B. You know what? I want to begin a real relationship with God today. Today, I need to begin a real relationship with God. Last Easter, 119 people checked letter B. 119 people said, I want to begin a relationship with God today. This is my day. What a greater day than Easter. Imagine looking back, knowing that it was Easter Sunday, you made that decision. Here's letter C. Letter C is I'd like to consider it a bit more first. You know, I just need a little bit more time to think about it. You know, I've always dreamed about having a church where non-Christians and and, and non-followers of Jesus could feel welcome. They could come and they could feel free to check it out anonymously and take their time. And, And you don't have to serve. You don't have to give. You don't have to participate at all. You can just take your time and check it out. And if that's you, just be honest. You know what? I need a little bit more time to consider this. And then here's letter D, and it scares me a little bit, and it's simply, I don't ever intend on making this decision. And let me just say, if that's you, have the guts to put it. Have the guts to check that box. You know, last year we had a couple people, and, and this one, you know, this one is hard, but just have the guts. I don't ever intend to, I don't ever intend to let Jesus lead my life. I don't ever intend to give him control. I don't ever intend to truly surrender myself. Have the guts to put it. And, and listen, we're going to pray for you. I know you probably don't care. And you know what? If you're right, our prayers don't matter anyways. 
but at least have the courage to check that box if that's you. And so what I want to do is I want to give you time to just think through where you're at when you, when you check the box that you feel that applies to you. Just bow your head and close your eyes, and then we'll pray. As we close today, I want to pray with everybody that checked letter B. So if you checked letter B today, I just want to say a quick prayer with you. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to stand up or come down to the front. But if you check letter B today in your heart, would you just pray with me? Jesus, today, I ask you to take the priority of my life. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I ask that you forgive me for my sin, whether it's the bad things I've done or the good things that I haven't done. Forgive me. And I choose today that I'm going to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can drop the cards off in one of the tithing offering boxes as you leave today. You can take to the table and get one of the cups, whatever you want to do. It's, 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 it's really up to you. We just would like the card back to know the results of the survey so that we can be praying for you. And it's just a powerful survey that we do every year as a church. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this wonderful Easter Sunday. And God, again, we don't want to celebrate Easter. We want to experience Easter. Your plan with Easter is that these four promises now have the potential to become real in our life. That's what it's all about. Next week, we're going to deal with the second promise and then the third promise and then the fourth promise. And and God, that's what we want is we want to experience these promises. We don't need religion. We don't need just just duty. We need, we need these things to become very real in our lives so that we can live the way you created us to live, lives of purpose and passion and fulfillment. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I invite you to come back the next couple weeks for the second, third, and fourth promise. Have a good day.
what's up everyone? Happy Easter! Come on, let's all rise together. We're gonna lift him up. Here we go. I was lost with a broken heart. You picked me up and now I'm set apart. From the ashes I am born again. Forever safe in the Savior's hands. Oh, oh, oh. 
Lord, you are lifted high. And the Lord, forever you are risen. And God, we thank you that you are still alive and you offer life to us, Father. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And everyone here this morning at Easter said, Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to have you with us here at Coastline Church. My name is Jared, and I am just one of the pastors around this place. And if you are new to Coastline, we just want to welcome you. It is great to have you here. We know that you had a lot of choices this morning of where you could have gone, but you chose here. So it's an honor to serve you. And if you guys would do me a favor really quick, when you came and you were given a worship guide, inside the worship guide is an insert. If everybody grab this, because this is important. If you would grab this from your worship guide, You'll notice on the back side of the card, it says 2015 Easter Survey. And there's a few things that it's going to be important for you to know about. Uh,